mine, all right? Have your Bibles tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Kind of a, a good section of Scripture. Keep in mind, you've got to sort of go back to a Middle Eastern mindset. Uh, the mindset of the Middle Easterner is not about uh, laughter, having a good time, joking, uh, uh, teasing with each other. It's much more serious-minded, sober-minded. And so Solomon here is giving some very wise, uh, some wise pithy sayings that are absolutely true. But you have to look at them at a different angle than when you just hear it. Now, the first one's pretty easy. If you notice your outline, um, a good name is important and was valuable to Solomon. Notice verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, do you remember, can anybody tell me the value of the precious ointment that was in the box, the alabaster box that Mary broke? It was a precious ointment. We don't think much about um, you know, various uh, uh, smells or various perfumes as being that expensive. I mean, we think about them, maybe there's one that uh, is, is $50 a bottle, that, that's expensive. Or $100 a bottle, that's expensive. Or $200, that's really expensive. But does anybody know how much Mary's alabaster box was worth? And? A year's wages. Yep. So when you think about that, now put that in with this verse. A good name is better than precious ointment. A year's wages. So if you make 50000 a year or 100000 a year or 200000 a year, a good name's worth more than money is what he's saying. The idea is, uh, and Solomon is right, it's worth a lot more than money. Now, how do you get a good name? Well, it's from consistency. It's from steadily doing the right thing. It's steadily being kind to somebody. It's steadily doing others right. You develop a good name. Now, when we say a good name, uh, it's your testimony. Now, everybody in this room has got a testimony. It's what people think about you, say about you, or believe about you. Now, you can have a good testimony and not be real on the inside. But Solomon is saying a good name is worth more than money because it gives you uh, credibility. And you've got to realize in the Middle Eastern mindset, uh, being, uh, being respected was everything. It's, it's not as important to us, but it was very important to them. That's the reason the young people could be stoned if they disrespected their father. That tells you how much respect was. And so they wanted this good name. Today, a good name is thrown away pretty quickly. I mean, uh, there, are, there are people that don't pay their bills, and so they have a credit rating of you know, 520, and they don't think much about it. Oh, well, it doesn't matter to me. I, I've got a little cash. I can go buy what I need. Um, a credit rating is more than just uh, getting you a good, a good rate on a loan. It is your reputation, too. I mean, you know, I've worked 
my whole life to get a, a high credit rating, not just because of the number, but because I wanted a good name. I wanted to be able to, uh, maybe I'm going to pay cash for the car, but I wanted to go in. They said, can we, would you mind if we run your credit? Uh, uh, you know, just want to, let me see your, 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 your driver's license. You give them the driver's license and they might do a soft pull just to make sure that you, who say you say you are. And then they come back and say, wow, you've really got uh, bad credit or you've really, you've, you're going to have to have cash or wow, that's, you've got a great credit ready. You're, you're, you have a great testimony financially. And so in this day, having a good name was of great value. You think about it. Uh, would you pay $200,000 to have a good name? Would you pay $100,000 to have a good name? He said it's worth more than that. So your testimony is very important. So you being kind, you being gracious, you doing the right thing. Um, I want to just show you one verse. We're going to end up on this verse. But does anybody know what Ecclesiastes 10.1 says? Just off the top of your head. Take your Bible and turn three chapters back. And notice this verse with me. It's a very unique way to say something, but I hope you get it. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Dead flies in a perfume make it smell bad. Now, then he gives the application. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Do you get that? A good name is very valuable to them. And he said a bad name is like having some flies in your perfume. Makes it stink. Now, to them, that perfume is not $50. It's a year's wages. So when you begin to put it all together, you see that your name means something. It meant something then and this day and age. Uh, So it is important that we maintain a good name, he's saying. And Christians even more so. Uh, we ought to, the Bible says in, 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 in Corinthians that let it not be once named among you. The idea is there are certain sins that Christians should never commit because of your name as a Christian. Notice, if you would, A in the outline, we all have a reputation or testimony. Everybody in this room has got some form of a testimony. Well, you're known as someone that's lazy or someone that's timely or someone that's late or someone that likes to eat or someone that, uh, that, that likes to eat bait, sushi. You know, that's what it is. And uh, just so you know, sushi is bait. You put it on a hook, all right? But I hear some people say, well, I like sushi. Well, you know, your testimony is uh, they like sushi or they like this or they like that. It's something people know about you. Well, uh, it's reputation that all of us have. It, it takes years to build a great reputation. It takes seconds to ruin it. Think about that. That's the reason Solomon says a good name is of far more value than a perfume that's worth a fortune. Because the perfume can't buy back your good name. Notice, if you would, be 
our testimony is of great value to us, or it should be. So everybody in this room, to be truthful ought to be very, be very valuable to you because it's your name. Uh, to do people right should be very valuable to you because it's your name. But notice not only that, to us and to others. Uh, I think your mother or your father would be very proud of you if you had a good name. But if you had a bad name, that would be very hurtful. And then notice, and the Lord. The most important reason you have a good name is that the Lord is proud of us. Well, notice Roman number two in the outline, Solomon viewed troubles and struggles as a better teacher than blessings. Now, none of us really want to hear that. I'd like to be, I'd like to learn from blessing, wouldn't you? All of us. But the fact is we learn more from pain and difficulty than we ever do with the blessings of the Lord. Because we forget to be thankful, we take things for granted. And so, notice in the outline, A, he felt that the day of death was better than one's birth. We celebrate birth and mourn death. So understand, in in the Middle Eastern mindset, uh, death was kind of, and this day was kind of a a time where um, people showed respect for you. It was a lifetime of labor. So he says, you know, your, your death is, is, is greater value than your birth. And so in America, you know, we have, we have people come up here for the school that buy uh, a fortune in, in pizza or a fortune in, uh, in uh, uh, cupcakes to bring it for their children's birthdays. And so, you know, they just want to make a big deal about it. And then when they go home, they do it again. And so this birthday is a big thing. I'm not saying that anything's wrong with that, but he's saying the greatest value is when you teach someone that when you die, you want to leave a good name. You want your death to mean more. Notice, if you would, uh, take, take your, uh, your outline. Notice, if you would, uh, be in the outline. Solomon spoke of sadness and sorrow as making the heart better. Look in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why is that? Well, laughter can cheer the heart, but he says sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. We sit down and analyze things more when we're sad, when we're mourning. Notice the next one. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. We sit down and sort through things when we're struggling. Notice but the heart of the fool is in the house of myrrh. So he's, it's like he's saying, you know, whenever you get around with a bunch of buddies, everybody's laughing, cutting up, and patting you on the back, nobody's learning anything. Now keep in mind, the Middle Eastern mindset is very serious. It is very straightforward. We always want to be profiting with our life. I do think there's a time for laughter. There's a time for joy but it can't be what we're known for. Notice, if you would, in the outline, Rome number one, I mean, Rome number two, B1, unfortunately, we have a better focus and learn better when we're facing difficulty. Uh, You'll notice, if you would, in verse three, 
Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the countenance, the heart's made better. When we sit down and really look at things, uh, we analyze someone's life because they're gone. But we see all the good things about their life. They were kind. They were good to us. Uh, they, were, uh, they were friendly. They, uh, they gave. They were givers. We look at somebody like that, and we sort of analyze that. And then, am I like that? But if everybody's having a good time and laughing, nobody learns very much. It's not a thing that we just sit down and, and kind of uh, uh, think about. We're laughing having a good time. Uh, what can I learn from this? We, we don't do that. Notice, if you would, number two, we gain wisdom as we struggle. We learn what not to do or say during trials. Our heart is more attentive to improvements and wisdom while we struggle. That's reading he says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Uh, we learn more when we've lost something. Um, I can remember... <clears throat> We had a little dog, a little white dog. Her name was Snowflake. And uh, uh, one time Jeremy said, Dad, can I have a dog? And I said, no, no way. Uh, don't want a dog in the house. Uh, no way in the world. And so he said, well, can I pray about it? Well, I told you. I said, sure, you can pray about it. How, do you, how does a preacher look at his son and say, no, you can't pray about it? So he was praying about it, and he had prayed about it regularly. And one day we had a knock at the door, and a kid across the street a jerky, sorry little kid comes across the street and he's got a puppy in his hand. Jerky little kid. Like, come on, son, go someplace else. And he says, I got an extra puppy. Would Jeremy like to have one? And Jeremy was standing right there, looked up and he said, God answered my prayer. Now what do you do? So I got a dog, a white dog named Snowflake. And I don't know how she ever had any hair left the way she shed. It was like all over the place. So I kept her in the backyard. She was never allowed inside. But she was a sweet, sweet dog. And the reason I don't like dogs and animals is because they get to my heart. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know? I mean, you're, you're sitting there, and a cat comes over, and you say, get away, get away, get away. And they kind of jump up in the seat, and they lay down beside you, and they start purring. And you say, don't try to do that to me. Get out. Get out. Or the puppy looks up to it with sad eyes, puts his head down on you. It just melts your heart. So just keep them away from me. I, I don't like that. I, I don't I don't because they die. And when they die, oh man, you know, how do I miss that dog? You know, I mean, I remember this and I remember that and I remember this. But when you're laughing and having a good time, you don't think much about them. But when they're gone, oh, you do. And so notice if you would, uh, in this, and uh, in, 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 in whenever we're in, in struggle, uh, when we're having a hard time, that dog one time got out on Sunday morning. Big storm came Saturday night. The dog was gone. Of course, Jeremy's crying. And he said, Daddy, we got to go look for Snowflake. I said, it's Sunday morning. We got to go to church. I can't miss church because we're dog hunting. He said, Dad, please, Snowflake is gone. So we go running up and down the alley, hollering, Snowflake, Snowflake. And pretty soon she comes out from somebody's house. Oh, my goodness. The joy that was to him. 
And it was joy to me because I could tell him that you love the dog. And so you, you look at it and I say, now, now, after all that was done, how can we keep the dog from getting out? So we walked all the way around the fence and found a place where she dug out and got under. Well, how can we fix that? We learned things. Not because we're out playing in the backyard. We learned something because we lost something. There was sorrow. We got to find this dog. How do we find her? Uh, your mind is thinking, well, we'll put up flyers and brochures. We'll, we'll offer 50 cents for a return. Uh, we'll do whatever we can. You know, you're trying to look at it and you're, 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 you're learning things. I don't want to lose this dog again. But if you're just having a good time, you don't think about things the same way. Notice if you would. See, we learn more by finishing things than by starting things. There's a satisfaction and a relief when we finish things. The weight of the effort is released. Look at verse 8. Beginning is the end of a thing. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. So the idea is, you know, when you start a project, you're all excited about it. But he said it's better at the end. Well, you can use the thing that you made. You can sit down and the weight is off of you. How many have you ever built something at your house? You made a project and you got started on it, or you started a fence, or you started a deck, or you started painting your house, or you started hanging pictures or something, and you know, you move and you got all these pictures lined up. Uh, well, you get started, that's not the best thing. I mean, it's exciting to see a few of them up, but it's the best thing when it's finished. Now, let's back up. As you get a little older and you get closer to heaven, you want to make sure the end of your life is better than the beginning. You want to have done right so that whenever it comes down closer to the end, you can feel the weight is releasing because I've done right. And he's saying to be in the ending of a thing is better than the beginning. Now notice, if you would, in verse 8, he says, and the patient in spirit, then he sort of changes again. And these are things that he's looking at, these various events, uh, these various passages, are about things that he sort of, remember, he wrote all the Proverbs. There were thousands of Proverbs that he wrote. And so the idea was, it's a thought here. He put it into words and you begin to think about it, it was something you could live by. Uh, it, was, it was something, uh, I, I went to college, and the president had a lot of sayings. They were all around uh, the, the classrooms, that, that sayings that he would have said and made that made a lot of sense. And so you'd sort of hide some of those in your mindset and think about them. And that's what Solomon did. And he says, better's the end of a thing than the beginning. So it's better to finish things than to start not finish. It's better to finish things because then you have the benefit and the joy of having completed something. Well, notice he says, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, the proud in spirit usually get more credit because they've done something. Um, they're, they're proud of something. They, they have an accomplishment. Um, and they're looked up to a lot of times. You, you look at uh, ball players. 
baseball players, football players, um, you know, I, I, all of them at the end of the day, uh, you know, they get an interview and I say all of them, most of them at the end of the day says, well, I, he couldn't, he couldn't get away from me. I could cover him uh, and I covered him all day long as a cornerback or as a wide receiver. He couldn't cover me. I was always open all day. There's certain pride that's there. And our young people are appealing, are, are, are pulled toward that versus someone that's very patient and very humble. But God is drawn toward the humble and toward the patient and not the proud. The proud should be abased, but the humble should be lifted up. The Bible says in Psalm 75, the Lord will lift up, but he'll put down the proud. So notice, if you would, with me, A in the outline, Roman numeral 3, we must learn to be patient and get rid of our anger. Anger is the enemy of patience. I don't know if you realize that or not. But notice A in the outline, Roman numeral 3A, a patient man is far better to be around than an angry man. Notice, if you would, he begins it by saying in verse 8, the patient in spirit. Now, a patient in spirit is one that has control of his spirit. And the Bible says he is better than the proud in spirit that wants everybody to know how good he is or how, how wonderful he is or what he can do. Well, notice in verse 9, he says, but be, be not hasty in thy spirit. Okay? This is quick-tempered. Quick-tempered people are in trouble a lot. And notice he says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. One, anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Notice in the outline, B, we make many foolish mistakes when we get angry. So, Keep in mind, something happens, and we get angry very quickly. It's called quick-tempered. That's what he's saying right here. Be not hasty in thy spirit. Quick-tempered. If you have a quick temper, you ought to lay it at this altar and say, Lord, would you deliver me from it? Because a quick-tempered person is always going to make a lot of mistakes. They're going to say things without thinking. They're going to do things that they regret. Uh, they're going to have a testimony that they wish they didn't have. Because remember, anger has got a little bit of adrenaline in the body. And it drives you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. So it is possible for you to have a quick temper and make lots of mistakes. It's not only possible, it will happen. Notice in the outline. See, now I want you to get a, a little bit about anger. Now, all of us in this room have a temper. It's either a patient one, and you have it under control, and nobody sees it much, but the Lord sees it in your heart. Things that cause you to get angry in your heart, angry in your spirit. Now, there are some people, when they get angry, they can't control it. It just comes out. Those people scare people. They scare their children. Many angry people use that 
as a way to get people to do what they want. So they lose their temper on purpose to scare people. Children, they yell at people. Anger will ruin your testimony that quick. So he that's hasty in his spirit does not have a good testimony because it's uncontrolled. Notice, if you would, see in the outline. This is something everybody should learn tonight if you haven't already known it. We are even told to avoid friendships with angry and quick-tempered people. Turn your Bible to Proverbs, just back toward the front of your Bible, a book, Proverbs 22. I want you to see this verse. Look at verse 24, Proverbs 22, 24. Now, here's a passage, just a couple of verses. We're going to read them. Make no friendship with an angry man. Couldn't be more clear. When you and I lose our temper, we're not good for friends. No one should be your friend when you lose your temper. Notice. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Somebody loses their temper quickly, you want to make sure you're not that guy's good friend. And there's a reason in the Scripture. Doesn't mean you may not love them. They may not pray for them. But a quick-tempered person is dangerous. When I say dangerous, oh, not necessarily to hurt you. Maybe so. But to say things, to act out things, to scare people. Well, notice what he says. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Somebody that their temper is already lost, they're angry, they're storming around, they're stomping around. He says, you shouldn't go with that person. Notice why. Verse 25. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. So let's take just a minute. Notice in the outline. One, see one, we can easily follow an angry person's example and treat others wrongfully with our temper. If you step back and see that everybody kind of steps back from an angry person, man, I, I, I don't want to be near him. You see, he gets his way. That's what an angry person gets angry about. So they get their way. And it causes everybody to kind of step back. He, let him have his way. It's not worth the trouble. If you say something to him, he'll yell back at you. If you try to stop him, he's wild, filled with adrenaline. Notice, if you would, two in the outline. Anger that is expressed is almost always a snare. Now, you might get anger in your spirit, and it's important for you to give that to the Lord but nobody may ever see it because your anger is controlled. You can't let it be there and seethe long. You can't, it, it's like starting a, 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 a group of leaves on fire. It may smoke just a little bit, not much, but when it finally gets going, it could burn the forest down. So you, you can't let your anger seethe for very long because it will go into a fire. You have to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, would you deliver me from this 
anger that's in my heart. Would you forgive me for it? Help me to give it to you. Anger is because we feel mistreated. We feel like somebody didn't do us right. Or they did, didn't do something we said they should do. So we're angry with them. Well, understand, it's easy to follow that angry guy and his example because you see what he gets. He gets his way. Well, notice if you would. And number two, it's a snare. A snare catches you when you're not planning it. It's a trap. It's the old devil's snare to get you and I to get to a position that we can't get ourselves out of. It's a snare. You can't fix your testimony as long as you have a quick temper. You can't fix it. It's a snare. Notice, it prevents spiritual growth. And it ruins a godly testimony. So a quick temper, an anger, and Solomon is saying this. He said, look, uh, you know, Solomon was very self-controlled. He was a wise man. In many ways, it never says he loses his temper. But he sees other men. Um, and, and does anybody remember a man's name named Shimei? Anybody remember Shimei? Okay, he had a man with a quick temper. He one day got, got when David was being run out of his, his kingdom, out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom, he threw dirt in the air because he was on the other mountainside in the valleys between them. He was a descendant of Saul. He should be in the kingly line. So he was bitter and angry toward David for being the king. When he was of Saul's line, he should have been in the king's line. So he throws dirt in the air. He curses David. He throws rocks at David. Well, when David comes back in after having his men win the victory over Absalom, the first guy to meet him is Shimei, and he falls down at his feet. And David's men say, quick-tempered, let me take off his head. He didn't do you right. So anger causes us to defend other people unnecessarily, to get mad at people for the way they treat somebody else unnecessarily, uh, just like David's mighty man did, wanted to kill Shimei. Well, David looks at his son Solomon and says, be careful of Shimei. So Solomon calls Shimei in and says, okay, Shimei, look, you didn't do my dad right, but he didn't kill you for it. And he could have. You cursed the king. You deserve to die. But see what I'm going to do. You, you stay in Jerusalem for the rest of your life. You don't go outside the city limits, and you can live here, make a living, and be fine. But the day you go outside Jerusalem, you're going to die. And he says, oh, that's wonderful. He thought he was a dead man already. Now he's got a reprieve. Two years later, a couple of his servants ran off. They ran outside the city limits. He got so angry, he didn't think about Solomon's vow to him. That's what anger does. You don't think. And he gets his, his uh, chariot or he gets his animal and rides after them. He hears where they are. He goes outside the limit, gets his servants and brings them back. Now, I'm certain after he went outside the city limits, he thought, uh-oh, 
I could be in trouble if Solomon finds out about that. Oh, he won't find out because he's angry. He makes a bad decision. He goes and gets his servants. He drags them back. And there's a knock on his door. King Solomon wants to talk to you. All of a sudden now, oh, no. He found out. But it's too late. You see, the anger of an angry man makes a snare to him. He does foolish things. He doesn't think clearly. And folks, tonight, if you have a problem with anger, take some scripture, memorize it, and say, Lord, deliver me from this. And every time anger starts to rise in your bosom, you just quote those verses and say, Lord, it's coming back. Deliver me. Notice, if you would, it prevents spiritual growth. As long as you have an uncontrolled sin in your life, something that's bigger than you, you cannot grow spiritually. It'll harm your testimony. It'll prevent you from growing. So everything has to be on the altar in order for you to grow properly. Notice, if you would, D in the outline, we must all learn to be patient and let the Lord work for us. We don't have to take care of things ourselves. The Lord says, I'll take care of it for you. I'll help you. We need to trust him to give us wisdom in every situation. Turn your Bible to James 1. And I want you to see this verse. We'll close. James 1. Hebrews, James. Right at the back of your Bible. Notice this verse. It fits sort of a conclusive verse for this passage tonight. James 1, 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So the struggles that we have in life, God allows to give us patience. Patience, the Greek word here is hupomeno, to remain under a load and not complain. To remain under a load and do it with joy. To remain under a load and not say, I'm done with this. I'm going to go a different direction. It's patience. The patience comes from the fact that you know your God, and He, in the end, is going to take care of you. Just keep doing right. That's what patience is. You don't let your temper go. You give it to the Lord. Notice verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work. Let it work on you, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing, that your life becomes complete because your trust is in the Lord and not in your own strength. You're willing to trust the Lord and rely upon Him. Uh, patience is my least favorite word because you get it by struggle. But all of us need patience. All of us need the Lord to give us self-control that our temper is given to the Lord. Tonight, how's your testimony? Is it a good one? Is it a good one with your mate? Is it a good one with your family? Is it a good one at your workplace? From time to time, I'm given a note. Uh, I'm given, somebody gives my name to a investigator to get their clearance. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So they'll give me, they'll give my name. And the investigator will say, could I ask you a question? Sure. I've got about six or eight questions here. I'd like to, for you to answer them for me. All right. Do you know so-and-so? Yes. How long have you known them? Eh, five, 10, 15 years, whatever. In what capacity? I'm their pastor. Okay. Uh, would you trust this person? Um, would you trust this person with your secrets? Uh, you know where they're going. Um, have you ever seen this person spend money wildly? Do they seem to live within their means? Are they disciplined? And at the very end, they say, would you recommend this person to work for your government? To keep you safe? To guard your secrets? Well, I'm very thankful that everybody that's put my name down has been a good guy or a good lady so that I could always answer yes to all those questions. But I've often thought about what happens if somebody puts my name down, I can't answer that name. I can't answer that correctly. A good name is rather be chosen than the most expensive perfume. It lets people respect you. It lets people lift you up. But you can't have a good name with a bad temper. Let's bow for a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the pianist to come and play a verse of invitation hymn. We have a little time. I encourage you to come to this altar and say, Lord, would you bless so-and-so at work? Help them to gain control of their temper. Lord, I see the damage that it can do. Lord, bless me. Help me to be a man, that, a woman that controls my temper, my words, my thoughts. Lord, help me to trust you. Father, speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for your great love to us. Lord, thank for the wisdom of Solomon that you codified into Scripture that we would know it's something we need to pay attention to because you said it. Father, would you speak to hearts tonight? In your name we pray. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come to this altar and talk to the Lord, I encourage you to do so. Tonight, if I could get you to take the prayer list and pray over it. Remember, this family, Rodney Jones, lost a little one. Brother Nick Adams had a test today. We find out tomorrow, Friday, how the cancer responded. Please pray about that. Brother Drew Gardner, pray for him that he can get on his feet, get rid of the pneumonia. Many other list people on the list. When you're finished praying, slip to the lobby tonight. Fellowship one with another. We have some time, eight or ten minutes before Awana is dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight. May the Lord bless you. Let's go to prayer.